This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property and today we've got a bit more on the markets as they seem to be going crazy. I poke a little bit of fun at economists but please don't take that too personally. The budding economists out there talking a little bit about Jacinda Ardern and what she has to say to landlords and as well as that some more examples of uh, bad landlords and tenants or in this case it's more around the bad tenants. But we're going to start off today with a bit of a recap on what's happening with the market, or at least what's been happening in the latest news on the market and looking back over a year. So that's why it's a recap as such. Really comparing where the market is now compared to it was a year ago. And this article here from the Manawatu Standard, given that this show is recorded in Manawatu, Wanganui, this article says, Manawatu Wanganui house prices post regional and district records. It says that the house prices continue to skyrocket through, the new, through new records at both the regional and district level. The median house price hit a record high, according to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, of $450,000 this August, and that's a 15.1% increase on last August. Three districts within that region also hit new highs. It was the Tararua house prices growing the fastest, followed by Wanganui and Manawatu, which had the highest median house price in the region. And Institute Chief Executive Bindi Norwell said the constant increases were mostly driven by home buyers competing over limited listings, with about 10% of buyers investing in rental property. So really there's been some uh, pretty big changes. I have talked about it uh, previously. Let's look at Wanganui for a moment. The median house price rose 29.6% over the past year to hit its record of 363000 this August. Now that's stunning, a 30% return on investment in terms of the median house price. One or two districts' median house price topped Palmerston North's by $2,000 with a record 525000 uh, median, and that's an increase of 18% since last August. The article quotes Harcourt's Manawatu co-owner Richard Jensen and said it was, he said it was the most buoyant housing market he's seen in the district in 18 years. And the sales values we see, this is a quote, going up every week, and a lot of properties are selling for two hundred to 300000 above rateable value now. Jensen said, on top of demand from one or two home buyers and investors, the rest of the country viewed the region as a particularly safe investment as New Zealand seems headed for a recession due to the pandemic. Jensen also said there's a lot of development lined up for the region and Manawatu's largely agricultural-based economy was one of the least affected by the pandemic. And the low interest rates set by the Reserve Bank to shore up the overall economy were particularly appealing in Manawatu, where houses were still relatively cheaper than in the main centres. So that pretty much summarises what is happening here. The price is still going up dramatically. Again, if you've been to, out to open homes recently, you would have noticed just how crazy busy 
those open homes will be. And I've been noticing a lot of properties selling in uh, around about a week or just over a week with multiple offers and some amazing prices. The next article from stuff.co.nz under the lifestyle section, this is Katie Todd of Radio New Zealand. This article says, Experts and home buyers not convinced house prices will fall. So economists, real estate agents and property brokers are shrugging off a forecast of falling house prices. In its pre-election update, Treasury predicted the average cost of a New Zealand home will dip by 5% by June of next year before rebounding as immigration picks up and economic confidence recovers. Reserve Bank bond buying has driven borrowing costs to record low levels and in Wellington, first home buyer Grace, whose quote in this article says the market feels ultra-competitive. She says, I've seen little two-bedroom cottages with south-facing living rooms going for over $800,000, so it feels pretty crazy. There are tons of people out there with babies on their front packs and with their mums and dads, uh, so it's definitely a pretty saturated first-home buyer market, I think, she said. She wasn't sure that Treasury's predicted house price plunge would pan out, as I, I'm not either, incidentally, and she was happy to put an offer on a house anyway. She says... When you're in this realm of spending, 5% ends up not making much difference, I would think, especially when it's so cheap to borrow money, she said. I don't know if I would like to wait around and see what happens um, or see if that happens or not. The article talks about another another chap, Michael Franks, recently signed on the dotted line on a house in Christchurch with his partner, and he said a short-term drop in prices wasn't likely to stir up any buyer's regret. We're very happy we've bought now. It seemed really competitive when we were going through, it seemed like house prices were going up 15% above what they normally should have. It wasn't really our intent to get into the market for personal gain, we're doing it for a step forward in our life. So any money we could have made, I don't think would be worth it. So it's interesting that buyers are still seeing uh, the market as being good uh, to buy in. And that's certainly true in this in the two area, as I was mentioning with those big changes so ASB Chief Economist Nick Tuffley said the market had ridden an adrenaline rush of eased lending restrictions, falling mortgage rates and fiscal stimulus. While that could change as wage subsidy supports fades away, he was dubious as if it would be enough for a 5% drop. We are a bit mindful that unemployment is likely to rise as we're heading through into next year and that could take a bit of an edge off. But having said that, we think the market's going to hold up and be quite resilient and it could be quite possible that we don't see a dip. And so the Real Estate Institute has just recorded its busiest August for sales volumes in five years, with record house prices seen across half the country. Chief Executive Bindi Norwell said Treasury's prediction of a 5% fall came with a get-out clause. We've seen price growth for, I think, 107 months in a row, which has really put pressure on affordability. So if you're looking at 5%, I think that's not a significant amount. But they did caveat the Treasury by saying that if the continued resilience in current sentiment continues, they will revise those forecasts as well. So then we have another look here from another economist, this one. Um, and again, I was going to say I was going to make fun of economists a bit, and that was probably not the right word, but I will just remind people that we are predicting pre-COVID uh, lockdown drops of up to 15%, which we just haven't seen. And uh, it must be a tough job being an economist because um, you know it's, they're often uh, trying to predict the future. And I'm not sure, although they do so from a highly educated way, uh, it's a bit better than the old crystal ball gazing, but it's just uh, it's been a hard one to predict this whole housing market in, in recent times. 
All of that notwithstanding, this article from goodreturns.co.nz Expect house prices to keep rising, says Westpac. In fact, Westpac Chief Economist Dominic Stevens. So this is probably just reiterating a bit of what I said. Back in when COVID-19 first broke out in New Zealand and the country went into lockdown, economic fears were riding high and many thought a housing crash was likely. In line with that, economists across the board predicted house price declines of varying degrees, yet the housing market reality has turned out to be somewhat different. And that means economists are starting to upgrade their forecasts and with Westpac's Economist Today announcing they now expect to see a price increase of 3.5% between March and December this year. In Westpac's latest Home Truths report, the bank's chief economist Dominic Stevens said they expected to see a 7% decline but that the collective predictions of house price decline have been proven wrong. Not only have prices gone up by 2.6% between March and August but there's now been three consecutive months of price increases. This means that it is no statistical quirk or brief period of catch-up and it has led them to reconsider even their last upgrading of price forecasts as being too pessimistic. So interesting there. And then, and then of course, what you may also have noticed in the last week, which knocked me off my seat, because uh, occasionally there are headlines that are just so sensational that you can't help but reading. And you could call it clickbait, I guess, if you're a little bit cynical. But this one here... Contrary to those articles I just said from Stuff Business, house prices could halve in very severe scenario where employment hit 17.7%. Now what's interesting about this article is it has a whole lot of ifs based on very pessimistic scenarios that they're focusing on. So it says a steep rise in unemployment beyond currently forecast levels could cause an even more dramatic collapse in house prices according to modelling by the Reserve Bank. Banks would need a multi-billion dollar bailout if COVID-19 pandemic pushed unemployment close to 18% and stayed in double figures for four years, the bank Reserve Bank has forecast. The bank forecast in August that unemployment, the unemployment would peak at 8.1%, triggering a 9% drop in property prices from peak to trough. But it's also modelled two pessimistic scenarios which could during which a rise in employment between two between 13.4 and 17.7% could cause house prices to fall between 37 and 50%. And that would trigger huge bad debts for banks. So what they've done is they've looked at all of the scenarios that the Reserve Bank has done and they've grabbed the most severe. It's a bit like those movies that came out sort of in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, with these massive disaster movies, world coming to an end, crazy, crazy stuff. And I think maybe the same people that write those scripts also write some of these pessimistic scenario scripts that house prices may drop by half. So I just thought I'd share that with you. But that was a headline that really caught my uh, caught my eye. I mean, they do, they'll be the first to admit that's the most pessimistic scenario. Um, so boy, that really is something else. Just having a little chuckle to myself. So the next article from Stuff that I had a look at was that first home buyers' fears are confirmed with property investors out in force. So I use example of Ali um, Howard and her partner who are looking to downsize to a townhouse or something similar close to town but can't find anything for less than a million dollars. And it says that property investors are edging out first home buyers as they compete over limited listings, with the latest CoreLogic data showing investors made 20, 26% of property purchases across July and August, continuing their rising trend in the past few years. 
The article says that anyone who's played a win- on the winning side in the game of Monopoly knows how this works. Once you get a few properties under your belt, people land on them, you take that cash injection, you buy more to cement a winning streak, and there are also fewer properties left on the board for your competitor. And so it's really not hard to see why that's happening. The, the low and falling interest rates are causing investors to look for returns elsewhere. It's cheap to borrow, and the temporary removal of the LVR lending limits has allowed more investors to enter the market with less than 30% deposit. In May, 60% of real estate agents around the country thought the hope of picking up a COVID bargain was driving investors. And uh, so it's interesting to see where that goes. The article goes on and um, just about the difficulties first-home buyers are having. Another article here from September the 13th talks about first-home buyers should trust their FOMO. What's FOMO? The fear of missing out. This article by Michaela Wilkes says that house prices have risen 0.2% nationwide in the last four months. And while, as we mentioned, that came to a surprise to economists... Uh, it does say that every single person who has adopted the philosophy of waiting for a price fall has got it wrong. This is according to uh, the Tony Alexander. Sorry, beg your pardon, I was trying to find the reference there. So these people, he says, these people sitting around waiting for Armageddon to come along, speaking of movies from the 1990s, and deliver them affordable housing have been wrong, said independent economist Tony Alexander. And he published the results of a survey with the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. The prices aren't going to fall by the looks of that report. So if you've been waiting on on the prices to fall to put on your deposit, stop. As particularly in the Manor Two Wanganui, heck, just get in there and get something. <laughs> the prices are going up so much that it's it's just a matter of trying to get something in. And so if you have that fear of missing out, you should be listening to that. Let's look at the median house prices across New Zealand, for example. They actually increased sixteen point four percent in August compared to August of last year. So it's now up to 675 from 580. And as I mentioned earlier, Bindi Newell has said that we've had 107 months in a row of properties increasing. So many agents in the survey by Tony Alexander said that the fear of missing out is really driving people and that it happens once a market develops a bit of momentum. People get worried about missing out and they pile in and that's the stage where markets have reached in New Zealand. And in fact, that fear is somewhat justified. The net migration into New Zealand was 86,000 people in the year to March, whereas the average for the past 10 years has been about 33,000 a year. So there's a huge amount of people coming into the country and they have to live somewhere. There's a lot of people also returning home from being overseas. So the moral of this story, uh, don't wait. Don't wait for house prices to fall. Um, It's not likely to happen anytime soon. So we're just going to have a little music break now. Uh, I've got some music here for you. This is a New Zealand band, Sole Mio, excuse the pronunciation, and this is the song Delilah. I saw the light on the night that I passed by her window I saw the flickering shadows of love on her blind She was my woman As she deceived me I watched and went out of my mind 
that no man could flee. At break of day, when that man drove away, I was waiting. I crossed the street to her house, and she opened the door. She. No more. My, 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 Delilah. Why, 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 Delilah? So before they come to break down the door, forgive me, Delilah. I just couldn't. We're back here on Property Matters with Greg Watson. We're talking all things property. Lovely having your company here. Before the break, we're talking about the markets. I'm now going to change to some landlord and tenant matters. And this article was reported in newshub.co.nz. Jacinda Ardern's message to landlords considering increasing rents. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has asked landlords who are considering increasing their living costs for tenants after rent freezes end, to have a level of fair-mindedness. So the government announced a six-month freeze on rent increases on March 26 to help protect tenants during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now I'm just going to uh, take a little pause there and make a slight comment here. So let's have a look at the fact that uh, most landlords in New Zealand, you might recall, only own one property. That is, they're typified by being people who have just worked hard to get themselves into a certain point in life where they can buy a rental property, only to have the government freeze their ability to try and increase rents on those properties for a period of time and therefore affecting their income. And these are often people who, although they own a property, may also have potentially lost jobs. That's something which I had a little bit of an issue with. I did understand from a social and moral point of view why that was good. But now she's saying to have a level of fair-mindedness. So these are asking the people who have not 
had a proportion of their income which was forced upon them from the government, then asking them not to go overboard with doing those increases. So what would we see if there's been a six-month freeze on rent increases? That means that some of those owners haven't increased their rent for really quite a considerable time. Let's take, for example, a situation where someone was about to raise rent, maybe they hadn't raised it in a year, and then that six-month freeze came about, and now they haven't been able to raise it for 18 months. So what's going to happen is there's definitely going to be a little leap of catch-up as rents do go up, and that, I think, can't be helped. But taking this article further, just to return back to the article, the Commerce Commission has warned property investors last month that they may be at risk of cartel-like behaviour after they used online forums to discuss raising rents en masse on September the 26th, the day after the rent freezes. So just bearing in mind that rent increases are limited now only to once every 12 months. And so it's quite interesting that uh, the, the Consumer Commerce Commission has said that even online, this is Chairperson Anna Rawlings told Radio New Zealand that property investors who hold discussions about raising rents may breach the Commerce Act as landlords should be aware that they can be in competition with each other for supplying rental properties and they can be carrying out a business while doing this. So as a result, the subject of the provisions of competition law and consumer protection laws and they should make sure that they're aware of their obligations to ensure and comply with them. So just be careful what you're saying on forums out there if they're looking at comments along the lines of, hey, let's all put our rents up. So maybe we'll just keep those as internal thoughts for a little while. And certainly I would not ever promote uh, something like that. Moving on, here's an article from Stuff Lifestyle. Tenants told to pay $20,000 after being evicted from a damaged house. That's a pretty big one. A group of tenants who had to be forcibly evicted from a Porirua house have been ordered to pay their former property managers $20,438 after leaving the property badly damaged. The Tenancy Tribunal determined that Aroha Nipia, Nathaniel Nata, Timare Nepia and Steve Nepia would pay $5,100 for repairs to door jams, $3,710 for plastering of walls and ceilings, $3,221 for painting, $1,000 for the insurance excess on the garage wall repair and $840 for rubbish removal amongst other work on the property. They were also to pay $2,000 to cover loss of rent and $2,492 in rent arrears. The tenancy actually ended on May the 11th, but the tenants would not move, and so the police were called to evict them. The property manager's Waiwari property said the property was left damaged with extensive holes and walls through the house and garage, damage to the cladding, and and, uh, plenty more, by the way. And the tenancy tribunal adjudicator was satisfied that much of the damage was intentional. And there was damage throughout the premises caused at times during the extensive eviction process. The majority of damage would have required considerable force to cause. So really it's uh, just a bit of a horrible story, that one, just by word of warning or word of advice really, that as a landlord you can get extra insurance to cover intentional or malicious damage, which in this case would have paid out everything apart from uh, a small excess. So there are companies that provide that sort of insurance for owners. doesn't say if that person had that insurance or not. Speaking of insurance, luxury upper hut Airbnb trashed in covert all-night party. CCTV footage of a covert rave thrown up at Upper Hut's jewel of, uh, it's called the Jewel of Akatarawa is the name of the listing. An Upper Hut property owner is fuming after a group of people hired his luxury mansion to throw a covert all-night party without his knowledge. 
The owner of the jewel of Akatarawa, who did not want to be named, said he rented his property at the weekend using Airbnb to what he believed was a group of six people staying overnight for a weekend getaway. On Saturday evening, he was alerted by the motion sensors on the security cameras as car after car turned up at the property. I rang her and said, are you throwing a party? And she said, oh, I didn't know I had to tell you about that. The owner said he allowed parties at the property but required a $1,000 security deposit and management in place to ensure there was no damage. He allowed the woman to stay after she told him it was a friend's birthday but asked everyone to be out and off the property by midnight. Midnight rolls around, he checks the security cameras again and there was no sign of the party winding down. By the morning the cars were still there. When he arrived he found a total mess with pills on the ground, broken glass throughout the house and park ca- the parked cars had damaged the lawns and a sliding door had been broken. He had to kick the revellers off the property and it took three people seven hours to clean the house and expected that between fixing the damage and hiring a skip in for the rubbish the cost would be in the thousands of dollars. He also had to personally apologise to neighbours, who, at least one of whom had laid a noise complaint with the Upper Hutt City Council. But it was not until his property was tagged in an Instagram post that he was alerted to the possibility it was more than just a single out-of-hand party. Step 1, the post read, read a mansion, uh, sorry, rent a mansion on Airbnb. Step 2, invite two hostels. Step 3, get three DJs and congratulations, you've just thrown yourself a kick-ass party. He was now worried the organiser was running parties as a business, inviting young people from local youth hostels and charging entry. When he spoke to partygoers, none of them were able to point to the organiser. He contacted the police to issue trespass notices, and they said they had heard a report about the party being held. So it's a real real worry. Airbnb's Head of Public Policy for New Zealand and Australia, Derek Nolan, said the company's policy forbidding parties was clear. In this interest, the wrongdoers have been removed from our platform and we stand ready to assist police with investigations and support the host through our host's guarantee. So Airbnb does guarantee uh, payouts in these cases. The reported behaviour is completely unacceptable and has no place at Airbnb, so good on them for helping out. Um, He says that negative incidents were rare and the company has zero tolerance. (coughs) So finally, just in case you have a spare $1.8 plus million dollars, This is from London, this article. The skinniest house in Shepherd's Bush. London could be yours for $1.8 million. And while this is a London story, it's in the lifestyle section of stuff if you wanted to look it up. I'm looking at a photo of it. It's basically got a door on the bottom floor, a window on the second and a window on the next. And it actually has five floors in total, two bedrooms and a rooftop terrace. However, the footprint is very small. It's considered the skinniest home in Auckland and it's only 1.8 metres wide. Unbelievable. It's arranged over five floors and a garden out the back. It's for sale. It's been listed with Winkworth for 1.8 million New Zealand dollars and it's squeezed between a private clinic and a hairdresser. It could have passed once upon a time as an alleyway potentially, but but, uh, it does look quite old. It's a 96 square metre house, so it's not small, but you'd have to really enjoy a stairs workout. So this is something that uh, you should really have a a look at, um, and um, something really incredible. Uh, The only other one I can think of, there was a um, a tiny tower in Philadelphia that was built uh, on a 3.6 metre by 8.8 metre space that was formerly a car park and rear yard. But still, if you want something different uh, and you're in London, and you've got a spare $1.8 million, maybe go and have a look at that one. And that's all we've got for today from Property Matters. It's been wonderful having your company. 
here on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irarangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, and we'll catch up with you in a week's time here on Property Matters. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.